And we welcome you into episode 18 of the best podcast available. Welcome to Draft Week, everyone. We are less than 48 hours out from Roger Goodell going to the podium in his basement to make a pick. And the Browns currently sit at pick number 10. I'm Jason Gibbs alongside Andrew Gribble and Nathan Zagura. It is the final BPA before the 2020 NFL draft, guys. It's currently snowing outside, fantastic weather, uh, just what you want for the last uh, full week in April, Gribbs. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to – I'm retraining my body clock to be ready for this weekend because I've been I've been early rising to get some work done in the morning, and then I'm passing out at about 8.30 at night. Uh, so this is going to be a major adjustment. And I, I'm usually at the office during the draft, like sitting upright in a chair. This time I'll be on my couch. Like this, I've got to really adjust a lot of different things to get ready for this weekend. You got to dig deeper, get yourself a five-hour energy or something, Gribbs. I know. The, the coffee's going to be going. It's, uh, it's, it'll be an all-night uh, event at, at our house here. Yeah. No panic room. The, no, the panic I'll room be, is out. The, I don't need the panic room. Kids will be asleep. We'll be, good. We'll, we'll be in the comforts of, of the living room for this one. All right. Coming up on the best podcast available, we will get to the top five defensive ends. Finally, we rank the top five offensive tackles. A little fun and frivolity, maybe a gribble nuclear take by the time this is all said and done. But first things first, it is our final mock draft. Gribble has asked us to come up with an entire first round mock, which we've done now. This is our third one. Our pick for the second round. But then he asked us for all the other draft picks as well. Gribbs. You hate us. It's fine. I get this. It. It's it's a good exercise because I think if any of us get, I would say if any of us get two beyond the first round, that is legendary status. I mean, that's that's immediate. It's 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 Patrick Maxian of 2018 status. Oh wow! What he was P-Jax. able to nail. Uh, you know, I, I think that takes an extra set of skills to to guess the the way we think things will go. And honestly, because I think the tough thing is you know, odds are the Browns aren't going to be making all those picks at that exact spot. So I'm just happy if any of us get multiple players beyond the first round. Yeah. I just hope we get some positions, right? I mean, you know, kind of in the, in that ballpark, if you nail, Oh, in this round, they selected that position. I feel that would be a pretty good win as well, but I think it's going to be a very interesting draft for the Browns. And I think Andrew Barry's made it very clear that he's approaching this like we're an expansion team and that don't be surprised if, what everybody thinks the Browns are going to do is not ultimately what they do. It's about bringing in the best players and the best fits for this organization. All right, let's get down to it then, guys. Uh, on our mock drafts, Gribbs, we will start with yours. And we'll go through the top 10 all the way up to the Browns picket number 10. Uh, and then we'll come back and talk second round after we've gone through everybody else's. Uh, obviously, Joe Burrow, the number one pick. Can we all agree, guys, uh, as we go through these Joe Burrow is going to be the number one pick. Not even the Bengals can screw this one up. Correct. Yes. <laughs> easy. Easy peasy. I think the first two picks, barring without trade scenarios in our top ten, I think the first two picks are, are set in stone. The smoke, the smoke screen stuff is nonsense. Like, I think the Redskins being open for business, nonsense. I, I think that's all the pre-draft. Same with this giant stuff about them taking a quarterback. Like, get it out of here. Yeah, and that's where uh, that's where I was going, Gribbs. Do we re- does anybody believe Washington's going to make a move? I mean, does anybody think that anybody's going to try to get move up to number two? It, realistically, no. I just don't think there's a player worth it that is like unless they want a team really wants Chase Young and they're willing to give up the franchise to get him because the Redskins would obviously love to have Chase Young as well. So. Uh, that's why I just – two is not realistic. The only thing I'll throw out there, even though I just dismissed this about 30 seconds ago, uh, the, the notion that the Giants would leak the idea that they would draft a quarterback at, at number four. Remember when we talked about, oh, the Cardinals would never do that with Kyler Murray. They would never purposely smoke screen to ruin Josh Rosen's confidence. Why isn't that being discussed now with the Daniel Jones stuff? Like, is he in on this, or are they really – are they really messing with their QB's confidence to maybe field some offers? I think that they are 
I think what they're trying to do is get somebody to go ahead of them, which means that either Akuda or you know, they I, maybe they want Akuda, maybe that's who they covet in this, and they're just trying to slide somebody down. I don't think that I'm sure that he's in on it. I don't think there's any chance they draft a quarterback. I think it's all nonsense, and I don't think Danny Dimes is is worried about it there in New York. But it is an interesting thing, and and I wonder now if you know I still kept Tua in my top ten, which we'll see. I don't quite buy all of this that he's going to fall out of the top 10, although a lot of people seem to think that he is. And that if somebody were going up, it's because Miami and the Dolphins, Miami Dolphins and the Chargers both covet Herbert, which would stun me. But we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But I think that's the Giants are just trying to get somebody up there so that Akuda then falls to them at four. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the draft will start at pick number three. I think we can all agree this is where things will get – very interesting gribs. Uh, obviously, we didn't do trades in our mock drafts. Too confusing. If, if everything stays status quo, here are the picks. And you still have a CUDA over Isaiah Simmons. You still think that's the best option for Detroit? Yeah, I, I think they really need him at the position. I think, uh, as I, you know, I think Isaiah Simmons is still a top 10 prospect, but I, I'm going with teams in this kind of scenario. I think they're going with the safest bet. The surest thing. They know Jeff Akuta is the best cornerback in the draft. They know he's going to play corner in the NFL. Plug him in, ready to go. And but I, I do think their ideal scenario is they don't make this pick. But if they do, I think this is the guy they're going. Zagura, the chances we see a lot of smoke but no real fire in the next 48 hours leading up to Thursday night. And I've talked to a few people, and they think that trades are going to be just like they normally would be. It's a matter of if there's somebody that's worth trading up for you need to have somebody that somebody covets and I don't know if it two three four if those quarterbacks are going to fit that bill for any of these teams now maybe if you're the Chargers and you do want Herbert you're going to go to four the Giants are still going to get whoever they would have taken it for and pick up another asset so that's what I see happening but I don't you have to have somebody that they want and there's got to be a compensation that's worked out and I think you know some of these teams might be willing to more roll the dice on letting the draft fall as it may here in the early rounds, but there are always removes. There are always moves. So we'll see how it plays out. Here, here's the thing though. Do we think that without these player visits is that there are less like love affairs between a team and a player? Like, can you not fall for a player in the same way that you might've under the old scenario, because you had them in your building, you talk to them and he, the player walks out. You're like, we got to have that guy on this team. You know, that's, that's the person that makes us better. I wonder if that, is is not in the mix as much this year and you're making more objective decisions yeah but you also could fall in love with somebody so much on the tape whereas in the past yeah. they come into your building and you're like oh i don't know anymore but <laughs> in the tape you love them so much and i know that happened with somebody very high on the browns draft board years ago that they absolutely loved and probably would have taken incredibly early and then after their visit for whatever reason they weren't on the board anymore so i think you can go both ways it's just going to be you know you're going to fall in love with these and God, these guys are watching so much film that's all they can do so they're probably obsessed with some of the people that they see on that. And then you don't have to have any of the other distractions. And so maybe you don't get that emotional, oh, well, I looked into his eyes and I felt his soul. And, and I know that he wants to be a Brown. You're going to have an objective, but you're going to still have the same kind of, I think, infatuations around the league. All right, we'll get, into the, we'll get into the tackle side of things a little bit later when we rank our top five. But you have the first tackle off the board, Dribs, as Tristan Wirfs from Iowa to the Giants. At number four, a lot of smoke, no fire. At pick number five, you have Justin Herbert. And this is, I've, I've seen this quite a few mocks now coming out, that Herbert going over Tua, that the Dolphins, uh, who made an attempt to get Tua into their building, I think, did they get Tua in the building before the, the deadline? They did. Okay, it was Dobbins they couldn't get in, after, yeah. I think. So you have Herbert over Tua. Why do you do, why do you think that? I'm buying this, the, the buzz. I, I just think that the more I think about it, it's just uh, G, GMs like, like safe. And I think that Herbert is safe. I think that Tua has so much upside, but there's just so much. It's not like bust factor. It's just a non-availability factor. And that's, that, that, can, that, that can be just as detrimental. And I, I, it's not just the hip injury. It's the other stuff that, that's kind of piled up. I think there's – there's probably some old school people that are weird about him being left-handed. Like, I think that there's just like a lot there. I still think he has the highest upside, which is why I have the chargers taking him. I think they have less to lose than the dolphins do at number five because the dolphins have worked so hard 
to get themselves in a position to, to land their franchise quarterback. I, I just I just think that all the stuff just makes it too hard for the Dolphins to pull the trigger at number five. All right, so you have Herbert at five, Tua at six. Speaking of safe, can't get any safer than arguably – maybe we could call him the, the best player in this draft. Maybe you can make an argument, but Isaiah Simmons to the Carolina Panthers at number seven. Yeah, forward-thinking front office, forward-thinking ownership. I think that they are not exactly interested in winning in 2020. You figure out what he can do best in his rookie season, then you're ready to roll in 2021. I think that's, to me, in my top 10, that's what I feel is maybe the most perfect marriage between team and player. Granted, I would like our us to be potentially married to Isaiah Simmons, but I just think that that makes too much sense for me. All right, at pick number eight, Andrew Thomas, the second tackle off the board uh, and going to uh, Arizona to block for Kyler Murray. Number nine is Jacksonville, and that's where, um, you know, things kind of got tossed around when Jacksonville cut one of their top wide receivers earlier this week, and you have them taking a wide receiver, the number one wide receiver off your board, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver from Alabama. Yeah, I, I just decided to get a little weird. I think that they, they, they also have an inclination, if you look back at some of Jacksonville's recent drafts, they kind of like the SEC. They drafted TJ Yeldon, DJ Chark, uh, the Florida defensive tackle whose name's escaping me a couple years ago. Uh, I just, I, I'm putting two and two together and I'm, I'm, I'm just doing everything I can for them to not take a tackle. Listen, I had that in my mock two versions ago. I had Judy going in there. I think it makes sense. I think that they're tanking so that next year they can get the quarterback of the future. And what better way to welcome him in than with already having a very talented and established receiving core waiting for him. And so I think that makes a lot of sense for them because a receiver is not going to necessarily impact wins and losses, but it sets a foundation for when you bring in Trevor Lawrence, which I think is their plan in 2021 that you've got already his ready-made number one receiver and DJ Chark had a, a great season last year as well. And that's a nice combo you'd have. Yeah, it's good. You'll have a receiving core, but we're going to trade your star running back. Yeah. Cause he can't, he's a plotter and they don't want that. That's not the modern NFL. Leonard Fournette belongs in a committee where he's kind of the, the LeGarrette Blunt of, of a committee and he's hasn't been that great. I think obviously he knows what's going on. And I, and I was saying, I don't think there's any more difficult situation than to be a running back on a team where you know they're tanking. Like you're going to take 300, 350 hits and get beaten up and take a, a significant portion of your career away for a team that's not trying to win. I think that would be a very difficult situation. I'm not surprised Leonard Fournette wants out of there. And, and I don't think he's going to have a huge market, but I think he'd be a very good piece in a team that wants to have some type of a committee backfield as that hammer. And he's better catching the ball than people think, but he's just not what he, he never should have been drafted where he was drafted. And I think that's just the key with, the running back position all along, no matter how good they are. It's a declining asset. It's like driving a nice car right off the lot. It's already losing value immediately from the second you get it. So, uh, and if you're picking high, you're not really in a position to win and the running back's not going to change that. So I think that Leonard Fournette was in a bad situation, but yeah, he's going to be out of there. They're not, they're not trying to win. I don't get the sense that this is an organization trying to win football games. Yeah, here's a hot Leonard Fournette take. He, the top seven running backs in that draft that year, he's the worst one. I think it's probably true, and I don't even know the other six off the top of my head. <laughs> I was going to say, do tell Here, I'll go. I'll go bottom to top. Kareem Hunt. Yes, better. Alvin Kamara. Better. Joe Mixon. Better. Way better. Alvin Cook. Way better. Christian McCaffrey. Way better. Wow. Gribble, dropping knowledge. Yeah. Migraine and all. That was a great running back draft. It goes back yeah. to, again, that's why you don't have to take one that early. And they took him over Jamal Adams. Took him over Jamal Adams and I believe Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. Yes. Yeah. An egregious pick. And that is why you are rebuilding. <laughs> pick number nine, Judy goes to the Jaguars. Cue the ESPN draft chimes. Gribs at pick number 10, you have the Browns taking the third tackle off the board. Jedrick Wills from Alabama as the Crimson Tide go back to back. Yeah, and, and spoiler alert, he's my top-ranked tackle. So I think that this is a great pick for the Browns. And it, it, it's, I'm, I'm more listening to what Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta have said over the last couple of weeks. And I, I think that, for me, this pick is about more than 2020. So you, to me, I think you take the best overall tackle. It might not be about how he adjusts to playing left tackle in year one, but someone that you can project to be your best left tackle for the next five-plus years. And I, I, I just think Wills is so solid – 
uh, it's a safe pick, even though you're moving positions. I'm fine. I've, I've, I've come to grips with moving him to a different position just because I think he's the best overall and safest pick at that spot, which is what I think the Browns need. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty. Our top tens are pretty much the same here, Grimson. <laughs> I, I was going to say. <laughs> I have Derek Brown in mine, and you did not have Derek Brown in yours. I did right? not. Yeah. All right. So, Zagura, Burrow one, Chase Young two, Okuda three, Wirfs four. So, why? And we'll get into that on the tackle side of things. Uh, Wirfs four. You have Tua, though, at five ahead of Herbert. What makes you think that? So I read a report yesterday that, that, that the owner of the Dolphins is acting like the, the team's not into Herbert, which is neither here nor there. But I just feel that when you have three first-round picks, it, psychologically speaking, it makes you feel like, okay, if I need to wait for him to get healthy, I can do that because I'm still going to have two other first-rounders joining my roster. It, I think most people would think he is the more talented quarterback. And so if I'm the Dolphins, yeah, there's an opportunity obviously with what's going on in the AFC East to make a big leap this year, and they play great down the stretch. But I'm willing to wait a little bit of time for Tua to be 100% if he's not already, as opposed to taking a quarterback that might feel safer, but I don't think is as good. So I just kept Tua there, uh, kept Herbert at six, um, and and kept the quarterbacks that way. We'll see. I, again, would it surprise me if Tua falls out of the top 10? No, because that's right now seems to be the strongest narrative that's out there about this draft. Now, if that's being something that's pushed by like, evil Bill Belichick who wants to jump up and scoop up Tua and continue his dynasty. Well, of course, that makes a lot of sense. But I, I'm going to, for now, I'll keep Tua there to the Dolphins with three first-round picks. Like I said, they have the luxury of waiting for him to be the guy that they expect him to be when they draft him. Evil Bill Belichick. Interesting. That's right. How about you? Well, uh, what is Carolina thinking taking Derek Brown over Isaiah Simmons? You know, it just could be they want toughness. They want to be stout on the line. That seems to be, you know, you could think about all the great Carolina Panthers defenses. That's what it is. And so Derek Brown's considered by many to be a, a very elite talent. I just had him going there. And then I had the Cardinals, even though you've got Kyler Murray lobbying for a receiver and, and you know, tackle probably does make a lot of sense. You just can't miss pairing Isaiah, getting Isaiah Simmons on a defense where now you're going to have, you know, Chandler Jones, you're going to have Isaiah Simmons, you're going to have Pat Pete, you're going to have a, a lot of just, top level athletes at all levels of the field and it just makes a lot of sense they're going to be able to score points I think that when you look at the Cardinals you say okay we've got Kyler we've got DeAndre we've got Larry Fitzgerald Christian Kirk we've got you know Kenyon Drake in the backfield we're going to score we need to stop people from scoring it and let's get when you're in a division where you've got to deal with Kittle you got to deal with Russell Wilson you got to deal with what the Rams are, are bringing now especially with Higby and the way he emerged Isaiah Simmons I think is just a great chess piece in that particular division for what they have to face and deal with yeah Indeed. All right. So those are your two top tens. I had Burrow at one. You didn't just gloss. Two. I don't even talk about my Browns pick. You just gloss right over it. My, my top ten ends at pick eight. I'll get to your pick. Relax. This is unbelievable. Nah, don't worry about it. Those are your top tens. Murph's at four. Herbert at five. Two at six. Isaiah at seven. I had Wills at eight. I, I'm not I, – I don't know. I think Arizona will end up taking him uh, – and Jerry Judy, obviously, at number nine. So, Zagura, let's go back to your pick at number 10. Thank you. Why, why do you have Wills as, at number 10? And clearly, uh, are you dispelling the notion that a right tackle can't move to left tackle and indeed play left tackle? Yeah, absolutely. And you got Bill Callahan here. He's going to learn the technique from one of the very best in the game, and then he's going to go over there. He played right tackle, I believe, and, and Gribbs, you know you're more in tune with Alabama, but I think he played right tackle because Tua was left-handed, and they wanted their best pass blocker on his blind side. So I know he hasn't done it. I believe he will be able to do it. Uh, in talking with a lot of people, I think the consensus from a, a big group of people – now, there are different teams that are going to have all four of these guys ranked number one, and, and maybe even a surprise team would have somebody like an Austin Jackson – uh, up there as well but I think Will's he's just the smoothest I think he's the safest I, I've actually heard some people there the opinions on Andrew Thomas I've heard recently are very very mixed uh, some people think he's a very good pass blocker others worry about his balance Dane Brugler's talked about that a lot some people get vibes from him that are I won't even say the name but former failed draft picks of the Cleveland Browns on the offensive line so I, I think you look at Wills, that's the best case scenario if, if he's there. Um, I actually, my rankings now, there are just so many people in that Bob McGinn article we read were the scouts. So many people seem to think Worfs is, is more of a guard than a tackle. And so that's why my rankings now, I have Wills one and Worfs two, which we'll talk about later. 
Um, even though we put on an athletic display, there are a lot of people that still feel like, no, he's, he's, a, he's a guard. And so that's why I ended up going with Wills here. I think Will Wirfs is going to go early anyway. He seems to be the perfect Gettleman type of fit from the, from the Big Ten. Kirk Ferentz, he's going to be tough. He's going to, you know, he, he's a stud. I have no problem if Wirfs ends up being the pick for the Browns, but I just went with Wills here with Wirfs off the board. Beckton had the issue. I do think there are questions about Thomas. And I do think that there, we might rather have a trade back and get an Austin Jackson or an Ezra Cleveland than stay at 10 and take an Andrew Thomas, which is not something that I felt earlier in the process, but it's something that seems to be percolating in the air. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I had Andrew Thomas at number 10. I just like Andrew Thomas. And I, I'm, I'm hoping, I feel like it just makes too much sense for him to come to us. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people have him ranked that high, but if there's already two or three tackles off the board, he makes perfect sense. And I would be just fine with Andrew Thomas. I'd be fine with Wills, although there's a part of me that is a little concerned about making that move from right tackle to left tackle. But if he's the best tackle in the draft and he's on the board, I think that makes the most sense. So uh, if you take a look at the, at the rest of this draft, if Tua doesn't go at five or six, Gribble, how far does Tua fall? Uh, wherever the Patriots want to trade up to. That's, that's, the, that's my going theory. I, don't, I just don't know what other team is making a move for a quarterback at that point. I, I, don't, think it, I don't think the team that drafts him is just going to wait to get him. Like a, they're like, oh, Tua plopped in our lap. We'll just take him here. So I think someone's going to then make a move to get him. I would still think top half of the first round and that my, my power rankings will be one new England, two Patriots, three Pats. <laughs> I like covering, that. Covering uh, listen, I will say this. I really believe that John Gruden would have a tough time passing on him at 12. Now I know they love Marcus Mariota and I think Marcus Mariota is ultimately going to supplant Derek Carr there, but I think John Gruden would have a very difficult time passing on Tua at number 12. He might do it. Mike Mayock might do it, but I think it would be that would be but, a difficult decision for them. But do you think they just wait for him to plop into the lap? Like that just doesn't happen with quarterbacks, I guess. That you know, I mean, I would think they'd have to make a move. They would they would feel like they'd have to make a move to go get him. So maybe they come to ten. Fine, we'll go back. Yeah. <laughs> Open for business. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Which team, in your eyes, is the better shot to move up? Uh, not the Raiders. Denver or Tampa Bay? Uh, Zagirl, we'll start with you. For, uh, for us to move back? No, just in general. What, which one of those two you think will move up or has the better shot to move up? So the interesting thing is if we wanted one of those tackles and, and let's say we move back with Tampa Bay, they're coming up to get a tackle. So I think they're even a team that's been speculated could go to number nine with the Jacksonville Jaguars to get in front of us to get the tackle that they want. Uh, I think they're likely to move up. I don't think the Broncos would be likely to move in front of us. I think they would be likely to move in front of the Jets and the Raiders, both of whom could be looking at wide receivers. So I think the Broncos coming to 10 makes a lot of sense, but I think nine is where you have to look at. If the Jags are tanking, which I think we're all pretty sure that they are, what do they care if they move out of nine and get more assets? That seems to be actually a smart thing to do. They've already got two ones, and then to move back, collect some more picks, and let somebody come up. I think Tampa going to nine is definitely a realistic possibility, but I do think Tampa is going to want to keep, they are not going to want to, they maybe give up something for 2021. I don't think that they would be using 2020 picks because I do think they're going to look to try to snag a good running back in that second round and then completely just load up that offense for, for Tom Brady so they can go to the playoffs. Gribble? I think the Bucks just because they've got an old quarterback. You're in win now mode. Like you just got to, I mean, you got to win now. I and mean, what, what are you building picks for? That's what made Brady upset about the Patriots. I mean, they, they didn't, they weren't loading up enough. You got to make the quarterback happy and, you know, maximize your like one and a half year window here. All right. Zagura, do the 49ers make a pick at 13? Will they still have that pick on Thursday night? Uh, it seems to be that they're open to moving around and collecting a lot of assets. So we'll see what happens with that. But I, I'd like them to stay there because I'd like them to take the best receiver on the board there because they can fill the need at 31 with the defensive tackle. Blacklock could be on the board. A lot of people like him to help replace the loss of DeForest Buckner. But uh, I think if they can get a super stud receiver and pair him with Debo Samuel in that offense with Kittle 
and those backs, I think that could be dynamic. So I, I hope that they, they don't make a move. But look, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, smart guys. I could see them moving around saying, look, we've got two to play with. Maybe they end up moving both of them. They turn two players into four players that they really like, knowing that they've got some salaries coming up and some expenses uh, that they're apparently – they're open to moving people. Apparently, Marcus Good, Marquise Goodwin is on the block. Quan Alexander is on the block. And I think for Browns fans are saying, oh, well, let's just bring him here and solve our linebacking core. I think if you just pay attention to everything that's happened this offseason, the Browns feel that investment on defense happens in front of the linebackers or behind the linebackers. And so I would not expect that type of a move from the Browns. And, and that's why also a lot of people think, oh, the Browns maybe take a linebacker in the second round. I, don't, that, I would be stunned if that happened. All right. Time to get into our top five positions and top five player rankings. Uh, we'll start off at the defensive end. We'll save the best for last, the tackles. Uh, at number one, we all have Chase Young. Uh, he said he's inviting 10 people or he gets to have nine people in his house on draft night. And then everybody else will be doing uh, drive ups as he likes to call it. So uh, they won't have to wait long. He'll be at number two at worst. He'll be number three. Um, if you take a look at the other ones, Gribbs, uh, you had Chasen at number two out of LSU. Zagura, you had gross Matos. You've been riding that train as I think since this whole process started and I had AJ Empanessa from Iowa at number two, we're all over the place on the defensive ends. Gribbs, uh, why did you choose the way you did? Uh, best pass rusher on the best team in college football. Simple as that. And I think the, the experts seem to agree with me. He's pegged as kind of a mid round selection. Uh, I think it's a, it would just be interesting to see where he goes because obviously there's a big gap between him and Chase Young, like who pulls the trigger on Chasing. But I, I think pass rushers, you, have, you, almost, you almost have to expect them to go higher than you think. I mean, no one thought Cleveland Farrell was going number four last year, but just such a rare there, – there aren't many humans that can be pass rushers, and you got to jump on them when you can. And I, I think that's why Chasing – I think he'll end up – there's a chance I think he goes in the first half of the first round. Yeah, pretty solid indeed. Zagura, you're, you're willing to hang on to Gross Matos. Injury concerns a problem. I mean, will that determine where he gets drafted or are, are teams comfortable taking a chance on him in the first round? Uh, he's going to go in the first round. And I don't think there's any way he gets past the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, it seems to be a natural fit for them. They've moved on uh, from a couple defensive ends recently. He's long. He's athletic. He's strong. He's productive in the Big Ten. Uh, I think Gross Matos is going to be a very solid player. And yeah, he's going to go, I think, in the later part of the first round in the 20s. And that's why I had to take him away from us at 41. Not to mention we've also signed Adrian Claiborne, which I think changes the calculus a little bit there at defensive end. Because even if OV's here in the last year of his deal, you've got now this draft, you have a draft next year, and you have free agency next year to really try to find a long-term solution for Miles Garrett as with a running buddy there. So I think the urgency at that position is, was well down from where it was. Now, do you want to get somebody to maybe push Chad Thomas? I think so. But I, I think Gross Mattis goes in the first round, as I said, in, the, in that bottom part of the first round, 20 on. Minnesota could be a place they look, you know, as they move on from Everson Griffin, he'd be a great fit there. So I think he's definitely a first-round talent and, and a good player. And I think you could end up seeing, when it's all said and done, uh, you know, three – maybe four edges in the first round, but only one early, and that's Chase Young. Gribbs, where would you rank this position in the draft in terms of, like, the most talent? The most talent? I would say it's middle of the pack. And I think that maybe near the bottom, honestly, the more I think about it, because there, there's the one super sure thing that only two teams have a chance of getting. Then there's a couple other good ones. And then I just think with pass rushers, the problem is, is there's just a lot of projections. And I think that you're always moving guys. Like we talk about moving a guy from right side to left tackle. It's always like, well, this linebacker's got to play in a 4-3. This 4-3 DN's got to go to play linebacker. And I, I think that that's why it just makes it a lot of a, a lot of uncertainty. And it's just, it seems like this year there there's maybe like three or four that you can feel safe about with the rest are just projection, 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 high upside. Not, not a ton of just safe picks that you're going to feel great about and making an impact right away. Yeah, indeed. Um, you take a look at the rest of this. The only other guy that really 
is the question mark is AJ uh, Empanessa. And there's some questions about him, but I, I think his talent is there. I think there's some intangibles that are holding some teams back for making this guy a much higher draft pick uh, than maybe he should be, Zagura. He just doesn't jump off the charts athletically, but he's a very savvy pass rusher, a guy who won with his smarts in college uh, back-to-back seasons with double-digit sacks at Iowa. And you wonder, is he kind of more a high-motor, productive guy like, like a Carl Nassib was coming out of Penn State where he was so productive, who's ended up, by the way, being a very nice rotational, even starting pass rusher in the NFL. But he doesn't have the upside of, of a guy like, for example, Terrell Lewis. But if Lewis can't stay healthy, he can't help you. But if he is healthy, he's got the athletic traits to be dominant at this level. Whereas FNS, I don't think, has those athletic traits. But he's going to be solid, a good starter, and a dependable player for teams. He just doesn't scream, man, I've got to get this guy. He could end up being a 15-set you know, guy in the NFL. I think we all can agree after the top four, there's a pretty significant drop off here going back to what Gribble said about the position as a whole. So I think after the top one, honestly, I think that Chase Young, then there's a gap and Chase on who is, you know, still a little bit lighter, but a a good athlete. I think he and Gross Matos are probably in their own little tier. And then you have a, a bunch of guys where it could be Epinesa Uche from Michigan. You've got, as we talked about Terrell Lewis, There are some other good pass rushers available, but none of them, they all have a lot of questions. All right, let's get down to it then. Offensive tackles. Uh, We, we, all three of us had Jedrick Wills as the number one tackle. No one seems to have any concern about moving from right tackle to left tackle. Um, So the Crimson Tide tackle goes number one. Number two on our list was Tristan Wirfs. And I guess Gribbs... I know what Nathan said about him being a Gettleman guy. Are there any other reasons why this guy ends up being the first tackle off the board when so many people are saying, and there's a groundswell, that maybe he's more of a guard than a tackle? Yeah, and I don't know if that necessarily matters for some teams. I think for the Browns, who clearly need a left tackle, that matters more than, say, a team like the Giants who may just be looking for the best overall offensive lineman. And I I think there's a a lot of people who think that Werfs has a chance to be the best overall offensive lineman. Look what Quentin Nelson's done with the Colts and the impact he's had. I just don't think for the Browns, he just might not make as much sense if you're thinking he projects as a guard than he would for the Giants who would be like, well, worst case scenario, he's a great great guard and we could use that. So that's that's why I like him for the Giants. All right, so at number three, Gribble, you had Andrew Thomas. I had Makai Becton. Zagura, you had Makai Becton from Louisville. So you're getting into the point now where it's like Becton, Thomas, who's going to be there at pick number 10, knowing that Wirfs is going to be off the board. Maybe Wills will be off the board. Someone, I think, is going to take another tackle somewhere in there. I think we can all agree between five and and when the Browns pick a 10, there's probably going to be another tackle coming off the board here at some point. But what's the biggest difference between Becton and uh, Andrew Thomas Gribbs, in your opinion? I mean, I think the size. I mean, Becton's huge. Yeah, I mean, that, and I I just think that for Thomas, I think he's a safer pick. I I just think there's a couple – for me, I I put Becton fourth because just there's – the bad tape from 2018, the weight, and then the 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 latest issue with the with this, the the test. So I, to me, they're both really good. They're elite tackles. That any other year they might be the top tackle off the board. But for me, if I'm making a first round investment, especially on the offensive line, where safer is usually better than than the downside of a, a total uh, guy you came put on the field. I think they both are going to be good. But I just feel safe with Thomas. Zagura, you had Becton at number three. You had Thomas. At number five, uh, why Becton uh, at number three? Well, just the size, the movement skills, what he can do, what he would be asked to do in the wide zone scheme. Uh, Joe Thomas is a huge fan of him and actually thinks he's the second best tackle in this draft behind Jedrick Wills. Um, So I think you look at the test, the failed test, that's going to push him down. I think it's a good chance he'll be on the board at 10 if the Browns do decide to go that way. Now, you mentioned that was my little bomb right there, my little bombshell, which is just for discussion purposes really more than anything. But I put Thomas at five, and it was based in large part what Dane Brugler told us on the Browns draft preview show 
uh, on the Browns radio network this past Monday and that he said, Thomas is very safe, but at the same time, you worry about the balance issues and you also worry, is he already fully formed? Is he, is this, is this who he is? And now that might not be a bad thing. I think sometimes that's said too much as a negative in the NFL because what he is is a darn good pass protector. But Austin Jackson is 20 years old. Austin Jackson out of USC might be, he said, the most gifted athlete tackle in this class and, and has the, the potential to become the best tackle in this class. And so when I thought about my overall value proposition for the Browns here, it's this. You can pick up an extra asset. You can still get Austin Jackson. And because he's maybe a lead, needs a little bit more time, you sign Jason Peters or a Cordy Glenn to a one-year deal. There are a lot of ways to approach this. And then you give Jackson the time to develop, work under Callahan, because I think there's a notion that whoever we pick at tackle has to be plug and play week one. And I don't think that is the case, actually. I think that the Browns have a lot of flexibility in how they want to approach that spot and the development of it. And I just think Jackson's upside is such that uh, I would be very interested in bringing him in here to the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I'll go back. When Lanzerline said to me he might be the best wide zone tackle in the NF in this draft at the Combine, that resonated with me. I trust Lance's opinion of offensive linemen as much as anybody uh, in the league. I don't know anything about him personally. So I go off what other people like that say, what Dane said last night, and just you get a lot of buzz. Daniel Jeremiah on his conference call said the one guy he thinks is going to go higher than anybody's expecting is Austin Jackson. So I'm intrigued by him. Ezra Cleveland's kind of in that same boat. I think he followed the same plan with him. But there's some concerns about Andrew Thomas and, and that he's on the ground so much. And so, again, that's nitpicking for people who know a lot more about this than I. I just thought it'd be fun to put Jackson there and just at least get the discussion going around that avenue. Gribbs, uh, you did have Ezra Cleveland as number five on your tackle list. Yeah, and again, I'll go with what Nathan said. Let's all pretend we're, none of us here are Joe Thomas. We don't we – don't, when it comes to offensive line, we don't know what we're talking about. So I'm going off what other people are saying about Ezra Cleveland. He's another one that I would feel good about the Browns getting if they move back. I feel the same way about Austin Jackson as Nathan does, just not as ranking him as highly. I think both of those guys are good options if you make the move back because I think 10 still might be a little early for both of them. Yep. All right. That's our discussion on the Browns' top position, who we think the Browns will address from a position standpoint in round one. Going back to our mock drafts in round two. Oh, you thought I was going to just pass that over like I did Zagura. Honestly, Gibbs, I thought you totally forgot. Nope. Not at all, my friends. Not at all. We're talking second round pick. And uh, the in our mock drafts, which will debut on clevelandbrowns.com this morning. This, this morning. Yes, this morning. They will uh, appear. The full mock plus all of the Browns picks. Uh, in this uh, 2020 NFL draft, we were asked to make predictions. All three of us had safety. Uh, I'm on the Grant Delpit train. Along oh, I'm on. I, I, I still think that he's not going to be there, but that's who I went with. Uh, Gribbs, you had J Jeremy Chin, the safety out of Southern Illinois, who we really like and Ty have talked about as well. Uh, clearly, the position the Browns we think will address in the second round is at the safety spot, Gribbs. Yeah, not, I mean, he's, he's Nathan's guy, the guy he's been touting. I, I, as I wrote in my write-up for the, the website, I just can't wrap my head around Grant Delpa being available at 41. I just I can't get there. I, I know it happened with Greedy Williams last year that he magically appeared uh, a little bit later in the second round. I just, I just can't. I, I, I can't be that optimistic. It's not in my, in my being. I, I would love to be that optimistic, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, look, I think either one of these guys, you got, you got Jeremy Chin. It's just a different level of competition he played at, but a guy that is getting comparisons to Harrison Smith. Who would our defensive staff be more familiar with <laughs> than Harrison Smith? And so if they feel that he, he matches up with what Harrison Smith brought to the Minnesota Vikings for all those years, then I think they're going to run to the podium and get him. I think Delpit's a stud. I mean, I, I don't understand why he's not going to go in the top 20. So if he's there at 41, I'm going to pounce on him and bring him in. I think he's just that kind of a playmaker. I think his 2018 tape is by far the best safety tape in this class. Uh, so I'll go on the fact that we can get him back there. Joe Woods has always been great with defensive backs. Bring him in and see what happens. But I do think that's where we all see uh, the need lining up. Now, the other thing is, 
look, you can get through this season with what we have at safety right now with Sandejo, with Carl Joseph, and Sheldrick Redwine as your top three. So it's not necessarily that pressing. I think we all feel it just seems to be where the value lines up with a big need for the Browns because, you know, and this is just a bit part of a bigger discussion. What are the other positions we're really going to be targeting in this draft? You know, I, I mean, I think we think safety and tackle. I think we all would agree on those. Beyond that, it's kind of murky to me because everything that we've done this offseason would signal we're not going to use a valuable, when I say valuable, I'm going to say a top first, second, third round pick, even though I'm going to have us taking a linebacker in the third round. It just doesn't seem to be in line with what we've seen so far from this front office and their valuation of that position. So is it going to be an edge rusher? Well, we brought in Claiborne, like I said before, we've got two drafts now, you know, and really a free agency period to address that if we're so inclined with OV here. And it sounds like Olivia Vernon is going to be here uh, and in the plan. So that's not a huge need either. Does wide receiver actually jump up to our third biggest need, knowing that we've got our top two guys coming off of surgeries? We don't, tip, we don't truly have an established third receiver on this roster, and it is a great draft. Is that maybe where we're going to be going in, in the third round? Uh, and that's just something I'm just throwing out there because other than that, you don't see a lot of needs, which is weird, but sometimes we do have a lot of needs, obviously, trying to get this team ready for the future, knowing you have so many people on one-year deals on this roster. Yeah, and I, I found also... myself picking a wide receiver earlier than I thought, uh, and it was mostly because that's just how the board works. Especially because we identified linebacker and pass rusher, we we agree that's where the Browns need to get better, but that's where it doesn't really match up as well with the the pool. Like, what does a project linebacker get you? How, where does that get you? Maybe that, are you better off with doing that? I mean, that's that's where it gets a little murky for me. So yeah, I I, I went into this exercise thinking I was going to pick one in the fourth round. I ended up picking one in the third round. Yeah, and I, I think the Browns will need to be active a little bit in terms of getting into that fourth and fifth round, maybe trying to acquire another pick or two, hence, you know, the, the trade back on day one. Because what everybody is saying, there are, there are starters on, in the fourth and fifth round uh, that can be had this year. That's how deep the draft is in certain positions. So – I think that is something that definitely bears watching uh, as we get closer here to Thursday night. All right, time to wrap things up. A little fun and frivolity. Best draft memory. And now it can be working for this franchise. It can be when you were growing up watching the draft, whatever the case might be. Zagura, you're smiling. Zagura uh, gribbles in thought. So we'll start with Zagura first on best draft memory. My best draft memory is probably also the worst draft memory that I have because they're, they are linked. But I was in New York for the 2014 draft. Uh, I, I somehow correctly predicted that we were going to take a corner and then move down. And I literally, I would, did not know, even though I was privy to some things about our draft board, Justin Gilbert at that time was not somebody that was <laughs> known to be linked to the Browns at all. Nonetheless, he was taken in the top 10. But the euphoria that night in New York it, it Music City and then even out on the streets after when we drafted Johnny was awesome. I mean, it really was, it was the coolest. And we all of a sudden overnight became, we were, we were the coolest thing going. Now it's also my worst draft memory because, you know, neither one of those guys are even in the NFL anymore and haven't been for some time. But that night, that energy, that atmosphere was so cool. And I think I went to another one that was in Chicago after that, but then, you know, we didn't go to the drafts anymore. So to be there was special to just that electric atmosphere was special. Unfortunately, just as electric as it was, it was as equally electric of a flop for the Browns. But so it's both my best and my worst. Gribbs? Let me give you my worst memory first, because that's always more exciting. Uh, the 2012 draft I covered in New York uh, covering Alabama. And they had five picks in the first round uh, of that draft. Uh, and another guy, Courtney Upshaw, who was supposed to go in the first round but did not. Uh, Nathan can probably test this. Covering the draft in person is a logistical nightmare. Uh, it's, it's not it's, – it's truly one of the events – whenever someone's asked me, is like, should I cover the draft? I always no. say no. You, you do it from your home base because it's, it's just a mess. This was back in Radio City Music Hall where you, they put your computer, your spot in press row, like in the middle – of the floor and I was like seat 46 of 92 
So I was literally in the middle. So if I wanted to leave, I had to like scoot myself in front of 45 different people to get into the aisle uh, from where I was set up. It's unorganized. You don't know what's going on. And once you walk away from your computer, you have no idea what, who's getting picked. You have, you're, you're, they don't really announce it very loud in the building. Uh, so it, it's truly a mess to cover. So that was my worst draft that I've ever covered. It'll be the last one I go to. Uh, do not recommend. My best memory was probably in 2007 when I was a, a, a senior in college uh, watching the draft from my uh, living room with my friends at back when the draft used to be on a Saturday uh, sure. at noon and the Browns are on the clock at number three and they go up to the podium and just as they're about to announce that it's Joe Thomas, I, I imagine a guy in the crowd who had a few beverages screams out, Jared Zabransky. <laughs> and my friends and I still laugh about this that to this day because it is so funny. And we, of course, we were big college football fans. We knew exactly who Jared Zabransky was. And then they're like, and the Browns take Joe Thomas. Like, so it was, it was an incredible, the guy's timing was truly incredible. He hit the, he hit the pause in sound at the perfect moment to let out Jared Zabransky. It was like the ultimate get in the hole moment for, for a draft fan. Uh, and it was, it's still to this day, my friends and I joke about it multiple that draft was absolutely crazy. I can remember I, I was working at ESPN 850 and we were at a, an establishment. We were at in a yearly tradition and people were camped out in lawn chairs at like 8 a.m. to get in. We were, we were on the air from like 10 a to 10 P and I can remember we take Joe, the place where we were at didn't offer us any food and we're there for 12 hours. So we worked out a trade deal with a local pizza place down the street. And we literally had this, this van with no windows and a buffet set up inside. And you literally sat on the floor of the van to eat. <laughs> I finally get a chance to go and grab some food. I'm in the van. People are looking at the van like, there are people coming in and out of this thing all day. What's going on in there? And I'm eating. And all of a sudden, I hear our broadcast on the air. And they're like, the logos changed. The Browns are up. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're taking, we're taking Brady Quinn. I'm trying to get out of the van. I'm currently locked in the van because it doesn't have automatic locks. I'm trying to find the latch. I open the door as the one intern comes out to try to tell me, hey, you got to come inside. We're on the clock. Almost knocked the intern out. I run inside. <laughs> we pick Quinn. The place goes ballistic. There's a wedding party that has shown up. These people had just gotten married. Their first stop, not pictures, but to the bar. We do rounds of shots with them, get them out, and it was an amazing day. And so, not I was there. Do you know that I was on the air for ES? I was there that day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I put you to work back then, too. That's right. Nothing's That's right. changed. Nothing well, has changed. Right. Now it's just the BPA. All right. <laughs> One bold prediction from you guys for the 2020 NFL draft. Gribs will start with you. Whew. I think that my bold prediction this is maybe not so bold that the Browns end up, even though I do not predict this in, in the mock draft, that by their third pick, they will have picked two offensive players. Segura. I like that. And actually it's not what I have in mind, but as I sit here, think about it, we kind of just talked through it. I think I've talked myself into maybe pick number 74, being a wide receiver for this football team, which would give you two offensive players out of those first three picks. Cause I think we all assume a tackle is going to be one of them. Uh, and then probably a safety would be the other, but yeah, I could, I could see that. And I'm just starting to think that, yeah, maybe wide receiver is something that's going to go a little bit earlier than perhaps we were all expecting here for the Cleveland Browns. And I think at 74, you do have an opportunity to have somebody pretty good potentially be on the board there. Andrew Berry told us on the Browns draft preview show he was going to be aggressive. I think the Browns picked twice on Thursday night. There's my bold prediction for wow. you. Wow. Okay. Okay. So. So what are you coming back into the end of the first round for? Maybe a the guy safety? named Grant Delpit. Mm. Oh. I don't know if you guys checked out the, the mock draft roundup on clevelandbrowns.com. Steve Palazzolo of Pro Football Focus with the 10th pick, the Browns select C.D. Lamb, wide receiver. 
listen. I don't. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I will say this, because last night, or on Monday night, I pressed a, uh, general manager Andrew Barry a little bit about the receiver room. And I said, look, I know this is typically a two-receiver offense, but, you know, you go through the things. We have the guys who have been injured, um, you know, behind them. There isn't anybody that's proven. Taewon Taylor sure was a third-round pick. has got a lot of speed. Ratley's made some plays here and there. Kaderil Hodge has made some plays. DJ Montgomery showed some things, you know, prior to the actual games being played last year. And, you know, this is a pretty historic receiver draft. I was trying to get it into his head about what, you know, he wants to do with that position. And he, of course, gave nothing because he's so good at that. But at the same time, he basically said, look, people don't have opportunities. But the one interesting thing that he said that was a little bit of a pushback was, yeah, Kevin Stefanski ran that offense with, you know, only two receivers on the field so often in Minnesota because of the personnel he had there and that, he could be adaptable to having more, you know, three receiver sets and not necessarily be 12 personnel all the time if that's what the talent dictated on the roster. And so that was interesting because I was trying to think back to 2014. It's not like we were playing two in, in the Shanahan offense. We had Taylor Gabriel on the field a ton. It's not like we were playing two tight ends all the time, and it was still incredibly productive. So that was just – it. again, it's just a, another thing that makes me – I don't know about 10 – Boy, I mean, the fireworks would be – people would be – I mean, I could only imagine the reactions to that. But it, maybe if you do that at 10 and then you trade back in and you're able to get, you know, an Ezra Cleveland, Austin Jackson, end of the first round, and then in the third round, that's where maybe an Ashton Davis would be there for you or Terrell Burgess out of Utah, you still can get a pretty good safety at that spot. So that would be – I like to give a bomb. Come on. That's why you got two bananas back there. You're dropping bombs. Exactly. Banana for you, banana for you. Episode 18 is in the can. Just a reminder, the first ever Browns virtual draft party coming your way Thursday night at 6 o'clock. We want you to register uh, on the clevelandbrowns.com for that. It'll be airing on the Browns YouTube channel, Facebook page, Twitter. The latest draft news, Dane Brugler is going to join. Zagura is the host of the program. Brugler is going to join. Brad Paisley, country superstar, will make an appearance. Oh, yes as well radio coverage all throughout the weekend brought to you by speedway will be on thursday night friday night saturday during the day news five will have you covered uh with a draft preview show at seven o'clock on thursday night and again sunday morning to recap things we're back with you next week the bpa will roll on and we'll be talking to some of the newest faces of the cleveland browns you can log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel for all of his hard work. For Nathan Zagura, for Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available.